Hi, welcome to this very special series of Grazy Herd's Life on the Land, where we deep dive into the lives, passions and projects of each of the seven national finalists of the 2023 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. For the last 21 years, the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award has empowered and celebrated the leadership of women involved in Australia's rural and emerging industries, businesses and communities. Equipped with a $15,000 Westpac grant, each of the state and territory winners are in the running for the national winner and runner-up to be announced in September, awarded an additional $20,000 and $15,000 Westpac grant respectively. My name is M. Herbert, your host for this series. For the last 18 years, Michelle Leonard has left her home in Sydney for nearly six weeks, driving upwards of 4,000 kilometres around New South Wales. The conductor drives down dirt roads and into regional towns across 21 local government areas, all to hear kids in the bush sing. Of the thousands of kids that she coaxes music from, Michelle selects 350, placing them across four ensembles within her regional arts not-for-profit, Murrumbilla Voices. The kids learn to sing, to play drums, to dance and read music, going on to perform throughout the year in venues like Dubbo's Regional Theatre and Convention Centre and this year, the Sydney Opera House. Michelle believes everyone can sing. A self-proclaimed, relentless optimist, the facilitator is on a mission to electrify the arts in country Australia and bring music to all. No, I just really love life. I love people. I think I find them continually energising and there's a, a, a way that they see, that different people see the world that is unbelievably intellectually and artistically satisfying for me because it's like this constant uh, jigsaw of possibilities that you know you can I think some people do that with food you know they look at ingredients in their cupboard and they can just think of all the things they can cook Mm. I don't do that very well but with people and um and their capacity you know pulling them together as teams I just find it awesome I always have, like for even on my earliest reports, it's just like, we don't know why she's so happy, but she still is, <laughs> you know. Well, you grew up in the bush. Like, yeah, was, yeah. Was that, Amble. yeah, what What were some of your most vivid memories growing up? Uh, well, we lived in town. Um, my parents are both uh, very, very long uh family lines in Canamble. Uh so uh, mum's family had businesses, dad's family had very established businesses, and then dad had a property called Murumbilla out of town. So that sort of became the man cave bolt hole for you know dad's obsession with racehorses and cattle. Uh, and I think before we were born uh sheep, but town dogs were no good on that. Um I loved uh, my my schooling there, actually. I have to say I had wildly feminist nuns in the Brigidines that shaped my whole worldview. They were unbelievably extraordinary. And we had, when I look back, I think my cohort, look, we can't spell very well, but thank God that technology's caught up with that. We're very focused on the gifts that we were given and amplifying those. So, you know, within my year group, 
people have done the most extraordinary things. Those nuns never told us what we couldn't do. They just really supported what we could, didn't put a top on it. And maybe it was the time we didn't know what we couldn't do. Um, but, you know, it was very clear that there was a group of us that were academically gifted and they pushed us, but we didn't know that. We were just sort of put in a little side group and given extra staff and then sent up to the high school in year five, end of year five, end of year six to do some classes um, and then told to help the people around us. Just because you can do it first, what you say you, unless you can impart and and amplify people's capacity and and I keep saying that word amplify, but like if you're sitting next to someone and they can't do it, um, but they can teach you something, you know, it wasn't you're the holder of all the knowledge. And that was really, yeah, that was pretty formidable for me as a kid. Plus they all sang, we all did musicals. We even did musicals in the high school in those days. There was town band, school band, choirs. It was a, a pretty live music vibe as my adolescent children would say. Um, so that certainly shaped me. Yeah, I, I think those nuns were remarkable. They were just awesome, awesome yeah. humans. I mean, feminist and nun is not something that normally is placed in the same sentence. Oh, look, the high school when I was growing up at Canamble High, there wasn't that expectation that people would go to school much beyond 14 years, nine months. Uh, so that became a fairly brutal reality and that has been the case in rural communities for quite a long time, particularly, you know, the girls, the idea was that you'd go and maybe become a uh, work in town in retail or get hairdressing or, um, you know, maybe go and babysit. Maybe you could be a nurse or if you were sort of academic, you could be a teacher. Yeah, so I didn't really, <clears throat> I didn't really get that memo. Um, I certainly got the memo that it was highly unlikely I'd be a conductor. Yeah. Very straight up from a music teacher, you know, a classroom music teacher who was qualified. Her husband was there as well. And I just ignored that. <laughs> yeah, but where did that courage come to or like that self-confidence come to ignore I was talking like to Dad actually about that a couple of days ago. Uh, he's 101 now, an absolutely awesome human who loves this country and the energy that comes from landscape and the uh, probably even the landscape more than the people I think but um he he loves the property knows every square inch of it um and its possibility for renewal and regrowth and the bird life that goes through the swamp uh into the Bibloid Creek and I said dad what possessed you to give me a piece of poly pipe um, and I would have been, I don't know, when you five, maybe that made me 10, um, and just say, oh, now I want you to stand there in front of that mob of cattle because they were branding and marking, you know. Yeah, you can't let them move. And I wasn't even as tall. Like their, I remember that their eyes were nearly at my eye height and here's a piece of black poly. And then as he walked away, he was sort of half laughing and so were the blokes. And he said, oh, and by the way, they'll smell your fear. And and I just went, right, I've got to stop these cattle moving and uh, the only thing that's protecting me from near death is a piece of polypipe. It was pretty, it's seared in my brain. And I think when I went up my first gig, you know, to conduct, I thought, oh, well, it can't be as hard as a mob of cattle and nearly <laughs> dying. Um, just a different type of baton. Just a different type of, and they'll smell your fear. 
mm. you know. Um, and I think that combined with my mother's steely determination that we would be excellent at something. Um, she was, dad's family were very good musicians. His mother was a very fine violinist. They met playing in the black and white pictures, you know, um, and she she was very, very um, focused and calm and exceptional Irish woman. And mum really wanted us to be exceptional, um, ideally, at music or academic. And so she she had a very tight schedule. Mm. Like we we all practised. Mum mm-hmm. was, was pretty outstanding. I now know that that's not normal. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I just cannot. Um, but what it gave us was a really formidable technical skill set. And uh, like music teaches you how to break up problems and it also teaches you how to look at, say, you're rehearsing or you're practising a piece of music and then break it down into its commensurate parts and go, that bit doesn't work in, you know, I keep making a mistake here, so now I'm going to have to deconstruct that and put it down to its component parts and then rehearse that bit and then place it back into a wider context. Um, there's a lady, uh, quite a few people have done a lot, a lot of studying on it. Dr. Anita Collins calls it microdosing on, on failure um, and that that is a significant factor if you can get through those um, to breed resilience and self-esteem. Mm. Uh, but p- the Americans call it grit, you know. So we just knew that we had to fix it. And um, and so you did. You just backed up and you tried again and you backed up and you tried again. And I, I think all of that, plus, you know, when you're growing up in a small town, there's not, like, I, I wasn't sporty. I, I played a a fair bit of netball, um, but I I had time to dream and to imagine, you know, sitting out in the paddocks. People said, you know, just I'll see you in a couple of hours or I'd go out and I'd fence with Dad and you'd just be immersed in nature and I'd just let my mind wander. I'd watch the clouds. I'd, I'd watch the, the smallness of nature um into its you know the shapes of the leaves as they curled up you know when they were drying on the bank and and all of that sort of smallness and I suppose the heavy level of detail that is required at a certain standard to practice allows you to see micro and macro you know in Mm. in um in duality but in a symbiotic way as well Mm. I don't know that minutia, like that, that minutia yeah. of observation, which only comes really from boredom, from having a lack of things to do. Yeah, I think it also, some people naturally gravitate towards that mm. and others doesn't matter, they they will not. But certainly without the amount of technology to fill us every yes. living moment, mm. uh, like white noise, um, and also... Um, there was no real expectation that we would be anything. Like, I mean, there wasn't like, you know, in, in some families they say, you know, we've been exceptional, therefore all the children will be exceptional and there's that huge pressure of expectation. Um, I didn't ever feel that and I certainly remember being in Europe and realizing that one of the wonderful things about growing up in a rural community in Australia and indeed in Australia was that you could break like you knew the rules but you seemed to be able to maneuver them and and manipulate them and break them faster because you didn't have that we've we've sung this way and we've done this sort of repertoire only for 
a thousand years or whatever. Mm. We mm. just don't have that. And yeah. so there's, there's liberation an in, in recency. It is. It? Yeah. And there's an innovation that comes with that headspace and a freedom of looking at how things synergize or synthesize faster. Mm. Um, and so this, like when I got to Marumbilla stage, you know, the idea of, of in, having dance and visual art and taiko and choral um, and allowing each art form to influence and manoeuvre the shape and the the pedagogy of each one, I didn't realise that that was quite an unusual and a bit rule-breaking because I went, well, I think we can learn something from mm-hmm. everyone and we'll be able to say with greater clarity or or at least more touch points what we're trying to say artistically. So it seemed logical for me to do that where for other people it might have been, oh, well, that's diminishing your art form and, you know, you're not allowing, it should be one or the other. You know what I mean? Like a box mm. thing. Mm. Yeah. So growing up in Canamble, you know, having being surrounded by music, but was that, were you aware that that was an uncommon thing? That, it that was wasn't unusual? uncommon. Oh, so other families days. were. Oh, know, God, yeah. everyone used to go around and sing around pianos. Yeah, right. You know, like it's that classic um country catholic thing you know people go to mass and then they'd go out to someone's property afterwards and have a barbecue people would be out there till then very late that night and then you'd be bundled into cars and you go to school the next morning mm. you know yeah. it was pretty normal uh, certainly for me and certainly for the families i knew everyone sang everyone played a bit of an instrument everyone laughed people told jokes everyone recited poetry you know like if it got late enough all the guys were doing the man from snow river before you knew it (laughs) Um, (laughs) and actually a bit of bush poetry yeah yeah and making up their own as well yeah you know but I just thought that was normal and it it was a time that was a peculiarity of time um people definitely played sport um and they definitely connected in that way but there was there was still a lot of people making music and men making music um, all through their ages, um, singing loudly, you know, just normal. Mm. Uh, like it was normal. It wasn't uh, something that you observed other people doing. Um, it was an active activity, you know, yeah. and it wasn't for this elite group of people. So maybe that's so different my to, to my experience growing up you know, um, on a property outside Tamworth. We just, uh, like I think my mum's musical, but we didn't have that performance-driven community where it was like it wasn't um, curriculum-based. Yep. You know, like I feel like Mm. now it's very much curriculum-based. So you do your piano lesson or your your guitar lesson and then that's where it stays within, like tethered within that hour at school. Absolutely. And we still did that because mum wanted those benchmarks met, but there was – operating sort of around the outside as a frame of that was there is a practical application to this yeah and there is in the community it's a community application Mm. and that we also recognize excellence so we recognize that everyone can sing and everyone could read music or play piano or do whatever but there are some people will and skill that are going to be better just like we can see that in sport yeah. And we also recognise that there is a need for cultural infrastructure to allow that to happen. So we need theatres and places to perform and the instruments that, you know, that was sort of still normal. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. where did you, what was the journey from kind of singing around a campfire or just mm. being in that community around Canamble to becoming a female conductor? What was that path like for you? <laughs> mental. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely mental. Still don't know quite know how I landed here actually. And I could have made different decisions and been a lot more robust about wanting that and articulating that in my early 20s. I didn't. I think I'm just lazy. I found conducting really easy and I found working with choirs even easier. And I thought, God, you could earn a living doing this. Oh, have a go at that. (laughs) So did you have like some sort of uh, mentoring or did you know? I've had lots of mentoring and I've had lots of exceptional musicians. I think no one's ever really deconstructed my conducting to the point where I never wanted to do it again. Mm. They certainly did that through the conservatory. My I like I loved that degree and I loved the breadth of the degree I did. Um, Which was bachelor music education because you yeah. know Dad was right you got to eat. But my younger sister, my sister underneath me, she went straight to performance and she went, "I'm going to be a world class performer. That's it. No, no." And she and she is. I I thought, oh well, I could probably you know teach and and I love teaching too. Actually, it's given me lots of skills. I haven't been in a classroom in 25 years or something more. I just loved choirs and I could memorise voices and I could unlock people's capacity vocally, uh, particularly children in this. To me, it was so easy and so logical. Like I was getting HDs and I wasn't even trying. And I went, what? What do you mean you can't do that? Can't you hear that? Can't you just move that person? Can't you just like, you know? And I don't know. I just probably thought, well, I'll do that. And then success begets success and then I got uh, opportunities to work on the National Children's Choir and then work in that space with very, very, very gifted people. And then at that point I was going to leave music and then I went and started a master's outside of music because I thought, oh, this is stupid, never going to really make it. And, of course, once you do that, it all lands in, doesn't it? And then you get offered, you you get your cap and gown for another degree and the universe opens up more work in the area that you that to which you're least inclined. You absurdly bend your whole design. I've heard that <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah, and so I just kept conducting and I really loved conducting choirs and once you get to a point, well, for me, it was, well, then I need to conduct the orchestra with the choir. Um, and I'd also been moonlighting, conducting what was in, called symphonic wind ensembles, you know, 120 brass and wind players with percussion and I thought oh this is cool this is great I could do this um maybe it's because it was on the breath you know and I played clarinet so I sort of understood that and and then I left that and kept moving more and more towards choirs and I was fascinated by composers and uh, particularly Australian composers and what they were trying to say about our country at that time and create a new language, a musical language of communicating that, um, particularly the landscape and the energy of the landscape. So I was right at the cutting point of all of that happening, met all the key players, did their music, hung out with them, made music together and and just kept carving my own path um, to bring high-end and community and children and adolescents all on the same sort of field to find a really rich middle ground. Mm. Um, How old were you now? Like this was in Sydney. Oh, yeah, this was in Sydney and then it ended up all over the place. You know, I just kept, once I found this little river of gold that worked, I just kept 
chipping away at it. And You're I following have, your charm. Yeah, I think so. And and I think if if you know it's right, it pulls you. Mm. Like you can be super strategic and super everything. And I wasn't. And I'm still not. I just know what I want to say. And I've worked out people that I want to say it with and then others that will come into my life and have just kept calmly, like this big river. It's just... And um, God willing, it's been extraordinary. You know, it really has been extraordinary. And any of the choices I look back on now that I thought at the time, um, they've actually been the richest little seams of gold uh, that I've gone back into. And, you know, so people will say, oh, why did you teach? Um, and at the time I loved teaching, but I didn't do it for an incredibly long time. But I met people at Newtown Performing Arts and at the Con High and Con Tertiary that were extraordinary and they still influence me and I've got those connections. And, you know, now if I walk into a school to do workshops, I fully appreciate the pressures they're under and how difficult it is to manoeuvre within that structure to get ensembles going, mm. what you've got to know and fight for, how to smell good educative environments and how to help other ones improve, you know. So you don't lose that. And I feel now that my role is more possibly artistic director rather than conductor. I mean, it's it's both. So it's about moving people Mm. in together collaboratively you know creating these great what would they they'd call it high performance teams in the states for sure <laughs> they would they've got a phrase for everything mm. so talk to me. so 18 years ago you founded Murumbula Voices mm-hmm. talk to me about the idea and the impetus around that why did you want to find found mm. it and, and what does it actually stand for it's a worldview I think now at that point in my life, I was I was had a particular trajectory that I could have taken that was very Sydney focused, very personally fulfilling, artistically, very much about exceptional one percent elite, mm. and that was pretty much laid out for me if I'd really wanted to pursue it. And at that point, my mates were having children. I was going back and forth to Canambal. And the things that we took for granted that we had had disappeared. And I think um, as a, mm, and in the region, mm. you know, this idea of integrated art, of people having access to music education and drama and um, dance even, if they wanted it, it just wasn't there. And I think it's those nuns again, really, and my family structure, which was, are you going to become part of the problem or part of the solution? It was really as simple as that. And I don't think in our wildest dreams that we ever thought it would grow to be the thing it did. It was a way of sort of a small way uh, for me initially of counterbalancing what I saw as a social inequality that was bugging me. And I also knew I had this skill and I wanted to try it out on my own. You know, what would happen if I got boys together? Just went around in the back of the car with the regional arts development officer, found boys that could sing, you know, just go into the schools. It was all pretty loose in the caboose, really. You know, the structures that you now need, the red tape that you need now, is absolutely no way that we had all of that. Um, But gradually, you know, we did. 
success begets success. And people went, oh, yeah, that's right. We do. It's, we're still in living memory. Mm-hmm. People sing. Boys sing. They're boy sopranos. Of course they do. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, um, let's get the men and the brothers and the uncles together singing with the boys. And then that was the first year. And the second year, we wrote another grant. Like we had to create a festival. It wasn't just a choir because we got a festival grant, you know, mental. It was mental. And then the next year we had girls and their aunties and their sisters and their grandmothers singing. But we had to double because the boys group was so wildly successful that they wanted to continue and then the girls wanted to continue. We've doubled, rightio, okay. You know, and I had a baby at that point and then – then the boys came pretty much and the parents said, well, the kids are at high school. There's still no music teachers that are qualified. We reckon you should give it a shot and do a high school group. And so that's how I pretty much, we, you know, that's how it worked. And then I had mates who were phenomenal taiko players, Japanese play, Japanese drumming. They just went, sure, we'll come to Baradine and teach them how to do that. And I went, thanks. <laughs> And and then we ended up eventually adding in, you know, after I'd done some more study overseas and was thinking, I just kept thinking and talking to people and and the further along I got, the more I realised that the energy of the landscape came from the worldview and the energy of the original inhabitants, actually. And that that deep respect that my... um, I was taught and mentored to have over my childhood and into my adolescence and then as elders came on and took a risk on me to share stories and worldview and eventually language and, 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 and it grew into this very rich um, thing that is still growing, you know, today. That became really amazing. That became really amazing. It just started in Canamble, but then it quickly spread. I mean, uh, I, I had the kids originally from about eight or nine towns, I think, around. And then I just, because what I realized um, was that I had to go into the schools to see the children, to pick the ones that I thought had the capacity. I couldn't rely on teachers sending them to me because. Well, I have a peculiar capacity in that area. I, I, I will admit that it's peculiar, but it's very useful mm. in this instance. Um, and I'm able to select and, in a workshop, give people the skills to see how they get there. Mm. Um, and then I memorize their voices and you know see how they go during the course of the year. So that commitment to being at delivering a workshop that was about raising everyone's skills and then seeing who would lift was peculiar um and certainly became more and more important as things changed, you know, over the last 18 years. And then I think from that, you know, people they grow, their skill set grows and their expectations of what is possible grows. Mm. And then um people go, Oh my God, yeah, that's pretty good. All right, well we could do this and then we, you know, and then opportunities come in and collaborations come in. And you know, one of my funniest moments was when we um partnered with the Australian World Orchestra and it was that year where there was all the dust storms, if you remember, that were absolutely mental. And these guys had flown in from Berlin Philharmonic, Vienna Philharmonic, London <laughs> Philharmonic, straight into Sydney, got on a plane to Dubbo, got in a in a car with the 
a parent volunteer to Baradine, open up the door and there's just dust on these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars individual instruments. You're like, oh, hi. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to the apocalypse. apocalypse. And, and, And our kids, of course, were like, oh, yeah, it's all right. Toughen up. Get in and play. And and there was this levelling and then this incredible energy that happened when people just decide to make music and everyone's focused on, on just saying that with such joy and energy and respect for what we're trying to, you know, share. You know, the, we're constantly trying to open up conversations on inclusion and respect. Yeah. We do it through the arts, but... That was that was wild. That was yeah. a wild year, um, you know. And the community of Baradine have been so welcoming. Oh my gosh! Um, and you know, and then we eventually moved uh, the concerts from Canamble to Dubbo into the regional theatre, and that's a that's an incredible experience. I never had it as a kid, yeah. you know, where you got lights, you've got backstage, you know, that's. That's cool. Yeah, super exciting. Um, it's a thrill. Super exciting. Rape seating, you know, people are in there. It's it's real, you know. Mm, mm. So it just it just kept growing, and, you know, and there's been so many people over so long that have poured their heart and their, their time that they've had into amplifying what we want to say. Mm. They've been volunteers. They've sat on boards. They've... Uh, supported other artists, their fundraising, you know, everything that it takes to make a machine like that work. Mm. Um, and then the Austrians say a fish rots from its head. Okay, that's what they say. And so I just used to think that I just had to just lead with the head and the body and the tail would follow. So if I had a really clear vision, I had a really clear standard, really clear expectations, then the body and and the tail would follow and and we'd swim up the river. But there were just so many moving parts because how many choirs do you have and how many kids have you, you you know, interacted with? I've seen 42,500 children in workshops. So I am really uniquely placed to tell people about what's been happening over the last 18-plus years in the region. I'm very happy to say I'm uniquely placed on that I might be the only regular thing kids see in primary school in some communities um other than the fabulous people at the front of I call them front of house you know at the at the front desk at the school we've delivered a lot of camps and commissioned a lot of works and you know we're coming up in 10 days time to do our fourth cd at the opera house this year which is insane like that's 18 years I think I'll land 38 adolescents in for that very bespoke thing um, with 16 professional players. So it's, you know, yeah, that's, that's sort of three to one that, that wouldn't, that's a good mix there. Let's see how that goes. That's, that's really going to raise the bar. Um, But it's that same group of adolescents that have had to go through COVID and have missed out on all these opportunities. So we're working really hard to do that. And you know the 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 repertoire and the relationships with the people that have made that repertoire with us. It's been eighteen years in the making. Mm, so you've incredible. got to have a long view. You yeah, know, a yeah. really long, long view, long term. You know, so, you don't dance in it without thinking this is where I want to be in twenty years' time, twenty five, thirty, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. 
And so you had the three choirs of how oh, many kids? Oh, we've now got four. four so um, we, after after COVID, just, yeah, um, that was a game changer for the whole sector, really. Uh, we stayed afloat. We did all these incredible online modules, mapped them all to the curriculum as a legacy piece to give to educators in remote and rural areas, um, you know, as if we were doing them to the kids. So they're, they're pretty funny. Oh, my God, they're hilarious, some of them, you know, to the point where you got dancers coming out and onesies doing warm-ups and, you know, everyone was going slightly crazy in COVID. Um, so we did that and then we, uh, I looked at once I'd done that skills development tour and I thought these younger kids, um, I need to roll them out into a separate ensemble, the Birali, like that means little gorgeous ones basically in Gamilaroi. Um, and so they were the year threes. So they were just starting and I thought I'll put them there and then we can see how they develop in their own rather than having three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. And so Mireille and Birali, you know, boys and girls, and I separate them out because they're quality of their sound is quite different mm-hmm. at that age and their learning is definitely different at that age um and so yep so we've got three primary groups now we still have one maxed out ensemble high school group and that is from year seven to twelve um that may change in the coming years we may end up having a junior and a senior or we may call them a different group again and each group can have up to about well, 92 for maxed out. Junior, the, the primary kids less, uh, sort of around 85 is is nice and the younger group less. But there's certainly plenty of artists and supervisors and everyone on them to really do whatever we need. And then we'll just see what the next five to, you know, we're really on the build again. Because how many people are in the years. team to... to oh, we'll end up that. with <laughs> over 100 volunteers 50 right. artists. Yep. I mean, it's a lot of catering and accommodation. You know, it's a machine. Yeah. It is an absolute commitment to excellence on every level. Yeah. And each year we try and learn, you know, and, and improve. Uh, I was only talking to our new executive director, Jacob Williams, who's originally from Dubbo and a, a dancer by trade. He he was laughing and he said some of the schools have, we, we have more kids than most of the schools you know but some of the schools have 20 or 30 in them and we're dealing with up to 350 kids and then all the entourage you know the buses that go to transport them yeah it's mental but it's awesome and I really feel that they deserve all of that effort and they should they should feel that they are worthy of that effort and the the best musicians and composers and choreographers you know they, they should feel that they're valued and that they they absolutely have every right to interface with the best people I can find. Yeah, it's just I'm so interested in this democratisation of the arts, which is I think traditionally an industry which valued the elite so much yeah. and and the bush has been forgotten. So Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I think there's always been a duality. Maybe it's more that we've... The elite, certainly in my family's life, like my grandmother, she ran the orchestra in Canamble, but there were more than one orchestra. 
there was orchestras and operas and theatre groups and uh, annex to the Conservatorium and, 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 and. I think what's actually happened is there's been a cultural shift in Australia, mm. sadly, where to demonise uh, elitism in arts is seen as absolutely norm, but we would definitely want an institution of sport and all the cultural infrastructure that is allowed for that in this country um, and we say, oh, no, 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 that's awesome. And, and my my feeling is it doesn't have to be either or. It simply must be and. Mm. So the, the girls and the boys that are fabulous at sport can and should be fabulous and have the opportunity to do that in the creative arts space. And that as a country we need to understand and hero the needs for this rich ecology not just in sport, where you have the groundsmen, you have the volunteers, you have the juniors, you have the physios, you have the people who make the, I call them costumes, you have the people that support the choreography. Mm. <laughs> you know, we have all of that too. How is it that our language is this elite or not um, and that uh, we're able to democratise sport and see its entire ecology, but we're not able to transfer that framework onto what actually happens You're so right. in the arts. Mm, you're and so and that, right. it never used to be so. Yeah. And, in fact, it's moving further and further away from its original intention in this country. We have more pianos in Australia than any country in the world. Mm, I know. I know, and they're mostly in rural Australia. Uh, and, and if you think about it, almost every old property homestead has a piano in it. Yeah. They do. Uh, now they're probably in the back shed rotting um, and 120 years on, they're still, they're, they're, their framework is still extraordinary, you know. So it, it's almost gone out of our memory, our living yeah. memory. And uh, I think a lot of the communities that um, we know and love, they've got a town song that's in the town library. They may even have an orchestration of that plus a band arrangement of that. In fact, if you dug a little bit, 50 years ago, there were all the band instruments and the band uh, the band rehearsed in a hall and then they had all of the, you know, the everything, you know, the costumes <laughs> and the repertoire and and there would have been choirs that operated not just out of the churches but were like music entertainment and uh, the idea of making music as a live interactive activity. So it's, um, for want of a better word, manned, not canned. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so this idea now that we have to watch people do it on telly um, or we watch them in a competitive way mm. uh, on the voice or whatever, these are people that are skilled. They don't just wake up one morning. They, they've practised 100,000 hours, whether they want to admit that to you or not. And and behind that there is a, and this is what we found really hard in, coming out of COVID, is to try and use the English language to explain this suspension of disbelief that happens in performative environments. You sit there in the theatre, you don't know that there's 20 tech crew. Yeah. You just see it all, the magic happen, and that's our job is to make sure that it looks effortless and that it's engaging emotionally and spiritually or visually and um, artistically, and yet there's an entire highly skilled ecosystem that happens behind it. Yeah. That's what I'm. I want to really um, ignite conversations on, yeah, and that, that 
breakdown and that idea of inclusivity and opportunity to imagine that it's possible again, that's what this award has been really great for because it's saying, actually, come on, talk to your grandmother, talk to your grandfather. It's not that far away that this wasn't the case. Yeah. So let's let's um, rectify that in our speech and in our worldview and 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 seek to to fix it in in any way you can. You know, it only takes lots of lots of little um, beautiful uh, bits of ceramic will make the most beautiful mosaic. Yeah, they're shards and they're chips, but it, it's possible. I I watched the Netflix documentary wide open sky about miraculous voices and what I found almost heartbreaking was the yearning of these kids to Mm. be part of the choir your choirs or part of the music in Rowan and Cobar and places Mm -hmm. where there was no music I found it kind of heartbreaking how open they were in their faces like how much they wanted to be part of it I mean how do you how uh, do you pick them how do you pick them it makes me cry yeah, I know. And actually, what I um, I get asked that a lot. And I say to you, it's the consistency. And also, it's the deep respect I have for those children that I'm not going to put them into an environment where they're not going to thrive. So I'm going to, and sometimes, you know, your body is your instrument as a singer. And, and so I have to, even though I don't want to be, I have to be patient. And if in the course of that workshop, they're not quite getting where they need to go, even if I'm desperate to put them in, but, you know, if I put you in a footy team and you cannot catch the ball, even though you desperately want to, you're going to get sidelined. So what I want to do is sort of say that I keep, you know, it's a really big commitment. I'm on the road for nearly five, six weeks to see all of those children in the workshop, do the whole workshop, and in the last five to seven minutes, quickly run them through because yeah. I want them all to lift. And then, you know what, I get there and on the third year and they look at you and they're like, yeah, I can do that. And you're like, well, it's about damn time. Thank you, Lizzo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've waited long enough and it clicks and often their reading is clicking, their, their life is a bit more stable physiologically, they're, shifting and you know it happens to adolescent girls as well as adolescent boys and you just hold them gently and you say in you know I'll be back yeah um, but that and, is the, the thing it's the continuity the you that's keep it. coming back you don't and just the program, like turn up in a puff of smoke and then leave. that's it and and that the program despite the odds has been able to continue um like that in a regional or remote area in Australia is is I don't know whether there's another ensemble that's ever done that. You know, I mean, that is tenacity from a lot of people and that's the, I would say, that Canamble fighting spirit. We're certainly renowned for a lot of negativity, uh, but once we get an idea that something really has to change, um, then you just chip, 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 you know, along through it. And that's been my life's work, holding, holding the space for that and being the the front of it and like I said the fish's head you know yeah yeah and being true to the promise because there's plenty of I yeah. think regional areas that have these big sweeping promises of programs and then they disappear and it's just yeah. the disappointments heartbreaking well and and the whole system of funding is um initial sort of like they put enough water on the seedling to grow and then there's no water again because mm. it's only one year or three years 
if you're lucky, and then you've got to have the robust structure to get the three to five years. So, you know, that first decade, um, you know, all those beautiful murals that I made with the community, um, with artists and the community in Canamble, they're my baby bonuses. Um, you know, they're crazy things that made sense at the time. Well, this has to happen and I could see the benefit of it in the long run. So this is my contribution to making yeah. In, in the spirit of Yinjimara, you know, what do you personally do to create a world worth living in? And then you start to aggregate other people who have that like mind and 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 it just starts to, you know, grow. And just quickly, like the benefit goes both ways. Like for the people yeah. that you're bringing from the city to the bush, these amazing artists oh, and musicians and performers, I mean, what's the benefit for them? And well, do you think yeah, there's that cultural shift between mm, bush yeah. and, and big smoke where we have lost that connection? Yeah, I, um, I've i been very specific in this and and very quite quite exacting actually in the the caliber artistic caliber of people I use as partners for this um, particular program but also I call them the caliber of human (laughs) you know they're useful Australians these artists they see that they actually like me I get more than I give Um, I am inspired by the tenacity and the relentless pursuit that these kids have they do it like their lives depend on it they will go and take extra rehearsals they want to thrive you know Mm. it's this rare opportunity and they just suck it up like little sponges that's you know as you get older maybe you get just get a bit jaded or Mm. you know things come easier and you forget your reason you know and when I'm in those environments and these top-end professionals are they go oh that's why I make music or that's why I do dance. So this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's that that happens, but there's also this rare opportunity to make a really strong, meaningful contribution to this ongoing conversation that we've had for 18 years around inclusion and respect, respect for country, respect for people who live in the country, all of the people walking side by side. We've been doing that since I started. It's now people are going, oh, yeah, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> oh, mm. and I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> good on you for catching up, mate. Uh, Come along yeah. for the ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tick a box. Um, but there is an integrity in that because of the ongoing long relationships that I've held and many of the artists have held with key drivers in community, um, with elders, with language holders, with people from national parks, uh, with key parents, key educators. You know, we don't just tick a box and leave. We've made a long, long-term commitment. And for me, as a as the leader of that organisation, that is my life's commitment you know that's that's what I'm doing mm. and that's the commitment I've made and I'm delighted to but it comes with a, a big responsibility to do it well mm. and I don't take that responsibility lightly at all. So for you winning this AgriFutures Rural Women's Award um, as a finalist for New South Wales I mean what has that meant for Murumbella Voices? Well, um, the actual money, uh, that 15000 has gone towards our tour fund to enable um, a percentage of what we're paying out to be able to do this opera house recording 
in 10 days. So that's been very financially useful. But what's more important is these opportunities to open up conversations on the importance of arts in regional and remote areas, on its importance for mental health, on its importance for connectivity. I mean, I would love to see regional and remote Australia be the cultural uh, fire pit, the hub for everything. You know, it is so possible and and it's not an either or. And I think if we can expand our thinking like like I used to as a kid, you know, fiddling at the clouds and just seeing that the whole way things could line up, you know, the possibility that it it is very possible. And in fact, it's vital because what the energy and the connection to country that we have in in those spaces, people in Sydney and all the metropolitan areas, they're craving that. Mm. And so if we can create a vehicle that allows this sharing and this symbiotic skill sharing as well, then everyone lifts on a rising tide. Yeah. And and it can be a really interesting um, framework for things outside of arts as well that, totally. you know, it, it, like it doesn't have to be you turn your back on where you came from and you never look at a way of amplifying the possibilities for other people and the skills that you've got, you know, bringing them back and, and sort of weaving them back and forth. That's been, that's been the real gift for me because I've, I've now got this opportunity to live in both worlds creatively and, and culturally. And it's, it's one absolutely feeds the other beautifully. It's just been so energising talking to you and listening to these ideas and um, and also just everything that is possible, which is so true. Oh, I don't know. Thank I, you so I, much. I, I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. I, I mean, it's quite unusual for an arts organisation to be in this AgriFutures Award, mm. but I really am so delighted that they took a risk yeah. And when actually this is important, yeah, this yeah. is cool and it, it could be a framework and a way of igniting people instead of saying this is what we don't have, saying this is what we do have. Yeah. And, um, and here's a group of silly people that have kept chipping away for 18 years uh, and to show you what is possible. Yeah, so I'm really, really grateful that they did that and... Uh, I hope we continue to do uh, everyone proud and keep lifting the bar a bit and setting people up to thrive. That's, that's my hope. I found chatting to Michelle so energising. How good is passion? She gives us full permission to sing wholeheartedly without fear and shame and I have no doubt is helping to shape the lives of the young people lucky enough to work with her and the incredible Murrumbilla team. Check out the Netflix doco Wide Open Sky for a detailed look into the organisation's work, which is funded by federal and state funding, as well as philanthropy. For more inspiring stories like Michelle's, pick up the latest issue of Grazy Her magazine at your nearest newsagents or subscribe online chock full of stunning photography and extraordinary stories it's an immersive treat and a look into the many varied lives of women in rural australia and if you have a minute to subscribe rate and review life on the land on whatever platform you're listening to it truly makes a difference to how others find us until next time keep well 
My name is Em Herbert and this is a Grazy Her Podcast. <laughs>